0: Back on the fan morning show, Sportsnet 590. The fan, Justin Cuthbert, back in the seat. Thanks to Gunning and Haley for filling in while you are away. You missed a lot.
1: Yeah, I guess I should have thanked him and Haley before Ripping on calling them. him a loser. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: yeah. you can give him his praise, too, for filling in. But, yeah, we we dropped the ball on the Corey Connor stuff. But we'll talk about that in Winners and Losers. But what you didn't miss is the tweet that blew up last week. So oh, people love a little Michael Bunting discourse online and the man that provided is Frank Cervelli, NHL insider president of hockey content at dot com. Frankie, Michael Bunting top of the free agent <clears throat> list. Everyone's fired up to hear from
2: you this morning. Uh, I don't know why. I, I mean, I, I, I was ratioed harder than art hard on that story than I think anything else I've done in the last 10 years
0: why do you think people are just so quick to, I guess, shut down that idea or to have conversation around? Michael Bundy's is like a bit of a polarizing figure, especially of late with the shenanigans with the refs and stuff. But what's like the main pushback that you were receiving if you read all those thousands and thousands of quote
2: (laughs) I did read a lot of them. And I I think for whatever reason, people thought that it was a nefarious push by me. Like, oh, you're trying to price him out of (laughs) Toronto as if I have some kind of control to do that, which is hysterical. Uh, The other thing was you're just out for clickbait. Mm. And my whole point was with the story and Michael Bunting being a top, my top 50 free agent story and ranking is it's really just an effort to try and handicap which player is going to bring in the most total dollars on their next contract this summer. And so you may think that I'm crazy. I think it speaks to a weak free agent class. This is the weakest free agent class that I can remember. And so, yeah, there's some other names that are on the list, but I personally, I don't think Patrick Kane's out for big money this summer. I don't think that's what he's looking for. Ryan O'Reilly, that'll be dictated by the playoff he has and you know what, what kind of term a team is willing to give at the age of 32 turning 33. Maybe you could make a case for Dmitry Orlov, for Alex Kalorn, or J.T. Comfer, Maybe Vladimir Tarasenko. Other than that, tell me, David, Damon Severson. Tell me which player on this list is going to be getting more total dollars over this contract than Michael Bunting.
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I I get I get the uh, I definitely understand the point uh, because he's, you know, in the in the prime, I guess, of his career and he's in his prime earning window and and he'll be able to cash in. We we think what do you expect to see him get uh, in if it's the most lucrative deal? Like, what do you think it's going to look like? And I guess the second part of that question is, is he losing money right now with the way Mm -hmm. that he's playing, with the way that he seems to be? beefing with his coach a little bit in addition to the officials. Like what do you see for Michael Bunting? And is he in a little bit of a precarious position right now in a position where he might be giving away some of that money?
2: I mean, it's possible again. It's this sort of month long window in time. Um, However long you want to stretch it out. is not going to mean much uh, in comparison to one a sort of more complete body of work over these last two seasons and two, whatever happens in the playoffs you know if he's a big contributor on a team that goes on a deep run well then that's going to wipe a lot of that away and, and in some ways um, provided that he's remained and I'm you know I'm not there to hear what is said but provided that he remains respectful the sort of back and forth and disagreement with coach I think at times can be really helpful and I always think of the fire, he's not Nathan McKinnon, but the fire that we've seen at times between McKinnon and Bednar, I don't think you know, anyone would take a look at that and say that's damaging to Nathan McKinnon's reputation. He's a competitor. He wants to win. And sometimes teams like seeing that fire. It's going to come down to production. And with you know 110-plus points over the last two seasons, Michael Bunting's going to be pretty well taken care of this summer.
1: So clearly Lee fans uh, took note to your tweet, but I I wonder if general managers did the same because uh, clearly if Michael Bunting's making the most dollars, like as as two people have broken down his game for uh, this entire season, like it it really does stand out because, well, at least for me, like he's a a guy that's incapable of driving his own line. And if he's going to be making the most money this summer, I feel like that should be the biggest warning ever for general managers to probably cool, cool this Jets once or cooled their jets rather once July 1st rolls around. Have you gotten any, I know you've gotten a lot of rage from Leaf fans, but have you had any feedback from inside the hockey world, just, you know, kind of heeding to what is such a low light class of free agents this summer?
2: Yeah, I do think there will certainly be some prudence in terms of the dollars that are handed out. I don't think it's going to be a frenzy by any stretch of the imagination. And I think on top of that, Everyone's waiting to see what happens with the salary cap. In some ways, if it only goes up a million dollars, that might be a really easy way to say, hey, we just don't have the coin. I I think a lot of managers are actually excited from the ones that I've talked to about this class because they think that there are some value buys here. I mean, go through the list in terms of players that they think can impact the team and maybe not spend a ton of money. Uh, another leaf that's come up in that regard is is David Kampf and the potential impact that he could make. Uh, a Garnet Hathaway, for instance, um, a Connor Clifton on the list. Like, these guys are not huge name value. They're not going to cost a ton of money, but they may be a way to improve your team toward the bottom half of your lineup that, you know, in a salary cap world, it's sometimes just as important getting that contribution when those guys are on the ice for not big money um, as it is when you're filling out your team.
0: Frank, how do you balance the next six games if you're Sheldon Keefe with, all right, they're 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 allowing for some load management, which is probably really important for someone like uh, Mitch Marner who played every single game, Giordano as well. But you're still lineup tinkering and you can't just like walk your way into the playoffs slowly because you're going to play Tampa Bay Lightning who have earned the right to kind of rest a bit because they've they've proven to be championship caliber team. Um, and you got to ramp up some of your guys. Like, do you think that this is a, a bit of a tough period for a head coach who also knows that this year means so much as every year does heading into the playoffs?
2: Not really. I mean, I, I don't put as much emphasis on whatever happens over these next, you know, sort of six games, as mm-hmm. you mentioned, uh, because I don't know that it matters. Like, if you go in hot, is that going to translate if you, you know, sort of struggle your way in? Does that matter? Probably not. Like, And by the way, we we talked about the lightning slipping for a while. Uh, hey, they've outscored their opponents 14 to one in the last three games uh, and, and certainly seem like they're kind of starting to get it together um, at a time when it matters um, after, you know, really, really looking so poor for so long. Um, I, I don't, I don't have a clear answer for you. And if it sounds like I'm um, Pollyannish about it, that's sort of how I feel is like, I don't, I don't know that it matters. Um you know, you, the biggest thing for me when thinking about this Leaf team and and heading into the playoffs is you, you need killers. It's about an instinct. It's a frame of mind. It's, um, you know, you've got to be able to show up in that moment and, and be out for blood. And I just, we've, I I haven't seen it from this core, but I think this team is also different now with the, all the pieces that they've added and, and getting everyone together at the right moment in time, finding that chemistry, like I don't think you're going to get that answer in the next six games to really know what that looks like. And It may, even in the first couple games, require a little bit of tinkering to find the right mix.
1: Yeah, so I was off last week i and kind of been cramming for the test, the test being this radio show, uh and trying to figure out exactly what happened with the Maple Leafs cuz they played well against some good teams and they headed into the weekend where we're seeing Radim Zahorna and Wayne Simmons and, and Colton T- or uh, Connor Timmins rather. See, I even forgot his name one Colton. time he was he was uh, or- uh, uh in the press box there. It it just seemed a little strange. That- you,
2: that's a that's a fail, just so you know, that's enough.
1: That's a uh, <laughs> I don't I don't get one question wrong, it's already enough. I got to be perfect, I guess. Uh it just seemed a little strange that they didn't think that these games mattered. And I, and I and I guess the context or the important context there is before I left, they were like completely searching. Like all these new players, all these different combinations, nothing was was set in stone. It seems like some things are set in stone right now. It seems like Cali Yarncroke might play with Austin, Austin Matthews. It seems like Morgan Riley might play with Luke Shen. It seems like McCabe and TJ Brody are going to be the pair that they really, really rely on but there's still so much that it seems like needs to be determined. And I guess the question is, does it just come down to Ryan O'Reilly's return and everything settling once that big piece who plays such a central role in the lineup gets back into the lineup?
2: Yeah, I was going to say that's the one critical piece to me. That's the X factor. I think to the whole entire Leafs playoff run is where do you put him? Who does he play with and what kind of impact does he have? Most importantly, like, I think he was brought in to be the killer, to be the guy in the playoffs that, um, you know, sort of provides that juice and that energy and, and frankly, uh, that detail that really helps put this team over the top. And without him in the lineup, the last while, I, I think sort of whatever they've been doing to this point is, more or less going through the motions and trying to make sure that, you know, really no one gets hurt. And obviously that backfired on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, backfired
1: on Sunday for, uh, for now, but we will uh, see if that means anything because it seems like uh, Elias Samsonov is the guy anyway. Anyway, uh, last week, Marty Walsh had his introductory press conference, the new head of the NHLPA. I wonder if you learned anything from his first words with the media and What would you pinpoint as the biggest difference between him and Donald fear as the NHLPA enters a new world here?
2: I don't have an answer for you on the second part of your question, because I think the truth is, and this is going to sound harsh. I don't think we learned anything because I don't think Marty Walsh has learned anything. And that's not a knock. It's that basically we're dealing with more or less a hockey neophyte someone that's totally new, is basically born, actually, frankly, seven days ago into the hockey world when he made his first trip to um, the NHLPA offices in Toronto for the first time. Um, He didn't really have very many answers to questions. And that's, again, not a negative thing because he was brought in to be a different voice, an outsider. They didn't want the same old, same old. And there's a lot to learn. He's got a lot to get up to speed on. And so I don't, you know, regardless of what was asked, he sort of, he was very honest in that sense. Like, I don't have an answer for you yet, or or I need to learn more about that. And that's what these next six months are, is Marty Walsh getting up to speed, meeting the people he needs to meet. Uh, forming the relationships that are going to be so critically important to the role and going through that process to really get to where he needs to get to in order to be an impactful leader for the players. Because right now he's someone that just has a lot of catching up to do. And it's unfair to judge um, really just about anything from Marty Walsh's opening press conference, because He's totally 100% new at this.
1: So unfair to judge what he said and was able to share, but I guess fair to critique, you know, actually bringing in a non-hockey guy. Like uh, the last guy, Donald Fear, was a non-hockey guy. There were a lot of issues there. Does that bother you that it's a non-hockey guy? Should it be a non-hockey guy? Like just not that you are going to glean anything because you're giving him that grace, but just Marty Walsh be a non-hockey guy in charge. Does that make sense for the NHLPA at this moment?
2: I don't, I don't know. It, it can. Like, I don't want to rule it out and be judgmental and, you know, I guess, prejudgmental. The, difference, the big difference between Donald Fear and Marty Walsh is that Fear had worked in baseball for 30 years and was clearly really involved in the sports scene and had a good understanding of how that works. Marty Walsh doesn't have any of that. He was the Secretary of Labor, and before that, he was the Mayor of Boston. He sort of touted the idea of being a Bruins season ticket holder, but how does that make him, aside from the labor qualifications, any more fit for the job than a labor attorney who regularly attends Leafs games? Like I'm sure there's one of them in the crowd of 20,000. Um, it, it doesn't. So I don't. I don't know the answer to that, and I don't think it's fair to even judge. Um, because the players clearly wanted someone that hasn't been in the sport i think it makes it more difficult off the hop to jump in because there's so much nuance to this and particularly this sport that i think it makes it a lot harder than diving into something that's a little more quote mainstream if that makes any sense particularly for a guy from boston but I can't say that it's a bad thing until we get more eyes on his tenure and we're a couple of years in to understand um, exactly what all of that means. Like, I think the biggest question for me is for Marty Walsh, he acknowledged, you know, in a sort of wink wink way of how long are you going to be here? And he said his contract was quote, a few years. That to me is the biggest question. What's his commitment level? How long is he, is he planning to be in the job? And is he really going to do the work required to sink his teeth in? Or is this a temporary, really well-paid pit stop for a comparative uh, government servant um, to then the next launching pad, whether that's in politics or government, whatever it is, is he going to be the guy that is, you know, for the players for a while?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, that's the way you lay it out, uh, politician politicking, uh, that's not what I thought the players would want. I I mean, there's so much that you, like, hockey's missing so much, and hockey should be fighting, especially from the player's side, for what they haven't been able to, to attain themselves over the last few years. And it just seems a little strange that, you know, it wouldn't be someone who is a hockey guy or a hockey girl and and b someone who is really really dedicated and wants to make a change uh the way you lay out is is a bit surprising but uh you know we'll see and try he's not to
2: talker. what's that he's a swab guy like i could see them being um you know sort of smitten and taken by him when you have the meetings that they had as part of the search committee that this is a guy that comes in and tells you what you want to hear now, let's see if he comes through with what he says. Oof, yeah.
1: Uh, hopefully, hopefully, he does because what the players want, uh, we should be also wanting as well. Okay, the Edmonton Oilers are on a, quite the run right now. I think 9 0 1 in their last 10. Uh, another big, not a big victory over the Anaheim Ducks, but one that looked big when you looked at the, store, uh, the score line. What sort of potential do you see in the Oilers right now?
2: I mean personally, when I watch that team and and the players um, that are driving that team and have been consistently you know for the last number of years the impact that McDavid and Dryslittle had in the playoffs, how lethal that power play is what what's the you know I think they're right in the mix as one of the handful five six truly authentic Stanley Cup contenders um, their path and the west is. Well, because in saying that, I also think that all six teams that are, you know, in the mix from the Central and Pacific, it's a relative coin flip between, you know, mini Colorado, Dallas, Vegas, L.A., and Edmonton. It's, whether it's shaded 52 or 53% in one direction in a matchup or not, um, I, I just don't think there's a ton separating them. And so this is going to sound funny to say, but... Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if the Oilers are playing in the Stanley cup final. And I wouldn't be shocked if the Oilers lose to the LA Kings in round one, like that's how close it is. But I think this Edmonton team is fully capable. And I think they look so much better and so different uh, to their credit um, with the addition of Matthias Ekholm. I think he's taken so much pressure off of their top pair. And I, I wasn't confident at the time that that would be the case when the trade was made.
0: I believe you're the first one that brought this stat into my timeline at least, but Drysidle trying to catch Tim Kerr for single-season power play goals. Mark, what you said is it you thought was an unbreakable record. Now, how incredible uh-huh. – I mean, there's been a lot of history broken this season from the Bruins, the Oilers, and to what Connor McDavid's doing, but this specific record, if Leon Drysidle can catch him and break it, um, it seems like a pretty unbelievable feat.
2: Yeah, it hasn't really been talked about all that much, and it's kind of incredible because over the weekend, Drysaddle became the first player since Mario Lemieux in 1995-96 to hit 30 power play goals in one season. So Tim Kerr's record has stood since 1985-86. It predates my existence on this planet, Uh, and so that's a long time. Um, And when you look at... Look, 34 goals of any kind in any season is a good year for anyone. But 34 goals on the power play alone—it's—it's it's a mind-blowing number. Now, Drysaddle's got some work to do. He's got a, he needs four more in the in the last five games uh, to tie Kerr. He needs uh, five to break it. And so, I don't know if he's going to get there. But the fact that we're even talking about it is pretty incredible. And the reaction again, that I've seen on social media. Maybe I should stop reading my mentions. (laughs) Oh, that's great. The Oilers can score on the power play. I'm like, last time I checked, those count the same. And it matters. This is a historically great power play. If the season ended today, they'd have the best power play percentage of all time. And in fact, in some ways, when you really break down the numbers, which I wrote about, and it was kind of fascinating trying to track down Tim Kerr, who doesn't really have any interest in talking about hockey. I couldn't track him down, to be honest. Um, What Seidel is doing, scoring on 11% of the Oilers' power plays, is actually a a lot more impressive than what Kerr did in 1985-86 because the Flyers that year who didn't have the best power play, they actually had the sixth best power play, believe it or not, they had 100 more opportunities than the Oilers have had this season. So. It's a pretty crazy stat to think about, and it puts in perspective for me the power of that power play when you get to the postseason. Like, that can be a lethal weapon in terms of, uh, you know, advancing in the playoffs.
1: So, how do you deal with Drysaitel when you're thinking about award voting? Like, clearly, Connor McDavid's going to win the Hart Trophy. It probably, it will be unanimous again, uh, like it was a couple of years ago. But like, Drysaitel doesn't deserve to be impacted by what Connor McDavid's doing. I mean, he scored 50 goals. He might challenge Tim Kerr's power play goal record, as you've laid out here. Like, Drysaitel's had an amazing, amazing season, and I, I just don't know where that leaves him, just because he's teammates with Connor McDavid.
2: Yeah, I would say it's unfortunate for him, but I also, in an odd way, I think back to the conversation that I had with him in January at the All-Star break, and he was saying then that he was really disappointed in his season. He felt like as good as the stats have been, this hasn't been his best year, and that he doesn't even really feel like it's close. So he felt like he had... A lot more to give I think he's been a little bit better in the so-called second half Um, but I sort of take him at his own word that if he's disappointed that you know perhaps he's telling us that you know he doesn't deserve that consideration and and not to say that he won't appear on ballots in some way and he'll get votes but I don't know where like what award would he you know slot himself into aside from one of the end of season all-star teams.
1: Yeah, I just wonder if two uh, two Oilers will be nominated for the Hart Trophy, if that's possible. Uh, but It's possible. Uh, it, it's, it seems like a little bit of a long shot, but it feels like he should be there based on at least what he's doing in the second half. Maybe he changes tune just a little bit by the way he's playing and certainly how the Oilers are playing right now. Uh, Frank, I'll make the grade next week, okay?
2: <laughs> okay, yeah, sounds good. I'm just shocked that we got to 25 minutes and no leaf goalie talk. So you guys must have it handled. Uh, no, we're, we're settled. We're settled on Samsonov.
1: We're just going to let Matt Murray do his own thing Bait on the trainer's oblivion. table. Yeah. And, and
0: Samsonov. <laughs> if you don't the guy. think about it, it just doesn't exist.
2: <laughs> I actually, in an odd way, like I know we got to wrap, like in an odd way, I think it's a blessing in disguise. I know that sounds really harsh, but if he's sort of out of sight and out of mind, maybe that's a good thing is the it's not pressure on Samsonov. I think what it does is um you know, it sort of maybe is a confidence boost in the sense that you know he's the guy carrying the ball and just numbers wise, even since Murray came back. This would be the third stint by the way that he misses multiple weeks most likely with a concussion if that's the case. Samsonov since Murray came back, seven games, nine fifteen. Murray, seven games, eight eighty. I mean it shouldn't have been a question, but Murray was playing so much that it felt like it was.
1: Yeah, I, I wish I could disagree with you, but I think uh, it's it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world because Ilya Samsonov has played so well, uh, and it's not, it's not him getting the job by default, and that could be looked at it that way because, yeah, Mur- Matt Murray might not be around. But Samsonov knows he's won this job, and, and I feel like he's playing that way and speaking that way, which is a good thing for the Maple Leafs, who might have a goaltender that can compete with Andre Vasilevsky. We shall see. Yeah.
2: The scary part was just the sort of how sore he looked or slow he was getting up over the weekend because you were like, no, no, no. We can't have this happen to two goalies. It, you know, it needs to just be one. And I understand his explanation and reasoning for it. But if you were to rip the name the name plates off the back of the jerseys, just a very small sample size, but I'd have a hard time saying that Joe Wall is not better than Matt Murray right now.
1: No, again, I don't think that's necessarily a hot take. Let's get Joe Wall up so we're not dealing with Samsonov second night of a back-to-back pressed into it after doing a workout earlier in the day. We can't have that happening uh, with Ilya Samsonov. Anyway, Frank, uh, we appreciate you coming on. We'll chat again next week. Have a good week, guys. That's Frank Saravelli, NHL insider and president of hockey content for dailyfaceoff.com. My vote, by the way, for the most money in this free agency, Dimitri Orlov.
0: Okay, well.
1: He's making more than Michael Bunting.
0: We'll see, Justin.
1: I, I I have to believe if if Michael Bunting's the richest free agent this summer, that general manager is going to be very disappointed, and that general manager will not be Kyle Dubas. I, I could not. I think imagine, you're right on that one. Could not fathom any suit connection. Could not give him the richest contract <laughs> this summer from Kyle Dubas. I know Kyle loves his guys, but it's not happening.
0: You know what could be happening? Something really cool tonight in the final. Game of March Madness, and it's something that we can chew on. Brought to you by Great Canadian Meats. Yum, yum, yum. Yukon versus San Diego State, 9.20 p.m. Wait, 9.20 p.m. Yesterday, we saw an incredible final to the women's tournament. Mm-hmm. Well, the women's tournament in general was incredible. The final maybe not as much because it was decided not on a buzzer beater, which is kind of the way you want it to be. However, uh, tonight there is more intrigue because Angel Reese, who won yesterday for LSU, and she's obviously been making some headlines, and we might get into that on the other side of the break, her cousin, Jordan Hawkins, plays for UConn, and they both have the opportunity to be NCAA champions on back-to-back nights, and they are cousins, they were best friends and uh, rivals since childhood. She led LSU to a final to a championship. He has the opportunities, a, gar- a freshman guard at UConn. He, um he hasn't been like their all-star, but tonight's an opportunity. And I think that'd be pretty damn cool. The that same family cool. tree to hold two trophies in two nights could be very cool.
1: That, e- that is very cool. He's n- hasn't been at Angel Reese's level, but he was thought of that way. Like mm-hmm. UConn's just won this with, or got to this point in large part. Well, Sonogo has been very good, but depth has been really the key for UConn. Uh, but apparently he had some, like, bad calamari and had some stomach issues or something in the, that's in the semifinal. That's a tough thing to be eating. Calamari. A- Angel Reese stayed away from the, the bad calamari based on her performance yesterday. <laughs> Did she ever.
0: All right. So maybe that's where your Wake and Wake picks come from. We can tee up the national championship tonight. Um, UConn favorites. I believe it was uh, last time I saw six and a half or five and a half, and a half, seven and a half now. Maybe eh? seven. Can they do it? Maybe you do a little Jordan Hawkins insight. You'll... I don't know if you can bet points. Oh, you boy. can. Okay, there you go, Justin. Oh, you can. You might be looking for that narrative tonight. Uh, send in your picks at five We'll get to all that at 830. We've got Ben Elkinson-Smith at 8. We'll talk about the Blue Jays weekend, and Justin has him in the major losers column on the other side of our break. And then Will Lou's going to join us at 830 to talk about Nick Nurse, maybe in your losers column as well. Uh, I got a lot of winners, though, okay? I'm looking for the positives. It's Monday. You're back. We're trying to get the vibes up. So I have lots of winners to go through, winners and losers, on the other side of the break.
1: Diving deep into Leaps, Raptors, Jays, and NFL. The JD Bunkers Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify,
2: or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Back on the Fan Morning Show, Sportsnet 590. The Fan, our Monday tradition is winners and losers. Winner, Justin, he's all refreshed. He didn't get a sunburn from his trip, which I'm very proud of you. He wore sunscreen.
1: I think I overdid it with the sunscreen, to be honest.
0: You can never overdo it with the sunscreen. But guess, I'll tell but you, you, that don't want, first you don't burn.
1: Want, it's bad when you come back from vacation you're like, you go somewhere? <laughs> you look a little different, but it's, you want it to be obvious, no?
0: Yeah, maybe, but when you're 45 and... I'm not 45. Ring, that's what I'm saying. When you are 45 oh, okay. and you didn't take care of your skin, you'll be, you don't care about the first three days when you're back on vacation people thought you were tanned.
1: Yeah, I guess probably not. Take care of your skin, Justin.
0: And so, you did. And I'm proud important. of you. So you're a winner.
1: Loading up the SPF 85.
0: I saw a lot of folks hitting the patios this weekend.
1: Did you? It's, that's a we that's a big weekend in Toronto.
0: Yesterday it was, I went for a little stroll, a little afternoon stroll between the Jays and uh, the Leafs. Mm-hmm. And it was not warm, but it was sunny. And there's folks out on a patio bundled. And I'm like, I could do that. I could have a little patio beer right now. But it was like, honestly, because you look at the weather app and it said it was like four degrees. And I was like, it's above zero. Might as well get on a
1: patio. I walked the dog Saturday night and it was like the cold. Right? And it was was probably like me, it was really cold, but it was me going from hot to cold. And I could not stand it. I couldn't stand Aww. it. We are like, oh, this is going to be a short one. Bye.
0: Oh, you're like, hurry up, do your business. A short one. <laughs> do your business. Yeah, we're almost there, folks. We talked about shorts guys. Were you here for that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay,
1: that was your weekly. A lot here. of shorts guys this weekend. Yeah. 100%.
0: Anyway, I think we're on the cusp. I believe it's gonna, we're going to have some double digits this week. 11, 11. 12 on Sunday. That's patio day. This is the best time time of year.
1: This is the best, like, mix of weather, sports, entertainment, good Mm. things happening over the next couple months here. And then we're into summer, and, of course, you're not going to complain with summer. Never. Well, we will. People will say it's too hot,
0: but think about these times, okay? Think about Justin walking his dog on Saturday night, and he couldn't even do it. He couldn't even do his dog justice. No, I couldn't. Poor guy. All right. um, Winners and losers. I would love to start with the biggest winner in Canada. Um, Someone that you drafted to your iconic Canadian starting lineup two, three weeks ago. Okay. Summer McIntosh. Listen to the weekend that she just had. The Canadian trials just occurred, and it was local in Brampton, uh, Toronto area, all over the place. My friend was actually there covering it, Brittany McLean. We've talked about her on the show, so Mm -hmm. shout out, Brittany. Summer McIntosh needs to be covered every day in mainstream media because she's absolutely incredible. She's 16 years old. She had a historic weekend, including now holding the world record for both the 400 meter freestyle and the 400 meter. um, What's this one? I am individual medley. So no one ever in the sport, male or female has ever held both of those world records. So she had this weekend where she set multiple, multiple records. She is someone that like, I just, I'm so impressed with she's 16 years old and she's doing this like quietly too. So we need to talk about Summer McIntosh every day. Um, But she set the record for both of those. She's very humble. She, um, two world records in five days. She set junior record and another junior record and a world record all in the same weekend. Uh, summer McIntosh already becoming a household name. I know that we've had a lot of really great Canadian swimmers, specifically women swimmers as well. But she's the future of the sport. Um, she's just been doing incredibly, and what a weekend to do it all back to back to back world records.
1: She's going to be the star of the Summer Games mm-hmm. in 2024 in Paris. It's the Summer, of summer. It's yeah. It's going to be the summer of summer. Uh, not to put too much pressure. Uh, But where she's at in her timeline, where she's at competitively, the age, everything Mm -hmm. matches up perfectly for her to be the star for Canada in Paris. So looking forward to that next summer. I can't really top Summer McIntosh, but I'll try with my winner, my big winner, Nick Kiprios. Did you see Kipper? (laughs) Kipper did you see Kipper on Saturday mystery.
0: night? I did see Kipper Saturday night.
1: Kipper and Bourne today is going gonna, gonna to be the highest rated show ever. The highest rated I can't Kipper. wait. I need to know how he got into a seat or into an arrangement with Bill Burr. And not just like sitting with Bill Burr, but like talking his ear off. They were like besties. <laughs> he was talking Bill Burr's ear off. I cannot wait to hear the story behind Nick Kiprios sitting Side by side. Do you think
0: they knew each other before?
1: I have no idea. I don't know what kind of circles he runs with. I know they're far more, you know, interesting than the ones I run in. But I need to hear this story. I need to hear Kipper and Bourne today because I I just need to know how he got seated thigh to thigh with one Bill Burr.
0: And they were chatty. Like, I don't think he watched the second of the game. Kipper
1: was, he was just, he was, like, explaining. It was Dude, like Kipper the meme. running him some jokes. It hey, what do you like, think of this one? You might know. It was like the meme where the girl's listening to the yes, guy who's talking. Yes. It was like, that was, we can redo that meme with Kipper and Bill Burr now. It was great. <laughs> I can't wait.
0: Uh, winner, Corey Connors. Well, I'm also a loser at the end of the story, but... Uh, Closing round of four under, secure a victory. His second time at the Valero Texas Open. Uh, he won it back in 2019. He joins a small list of Canadians that have won two PGA titles at the same event. Expected to move up to number 18 on the FedEx Cup standings. Uh, the FanEx Cup standings did not move because both, Unbelievable. both Gunning and I declined to pick Connors. I picked. Taylor Pendrith, and he picked Nick Taylor, both long shots. And Corey Connors was sitting right there in the top five, and I said, nah, we'll just, I don't know, pick someone off the board. So yeah, stupid.
1: Top, top five shortest odds, guy who's won at that course before, won the Valero Texas Open before, the hottest yeah, Canadian Yeah, hindsight, looks and like a moron like, nah, move,
0: doesn't it?
2: Nah,
1: it's, it's on no, it's, it's gutting. That's a, that's a definite misstep yeah. uh, for Gunner, But a lot of buzz now about Corey Connors going to the Masters. That's a course Let's that many people buddy. believe – he can have a lot of success. With.
0: Someone's got to pick him this week, okay?
1: <laughs> Someone will pick him this week. I can guarantee you that. If not a live player in the final with like a Scheffler or a, mm-hmm. or a uh, Rory McIlroy, let's throw Corey Connors into the mix. Okay, well,
0: why not, man? You need to win, so you go. You, you find who you like.
1: I'll definitely have Corey Connors if you do not take him. Uh, another winner, Lamont Butler. I mean, we didn't get I don't know if we got many amazing moments at the NCAA tournament for on the men's side Mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, San Diego State, and UConn. It's not the sexiest matchup, but a buzzer beater to not break a tie, but to go ahead and put yourself into the championship game like that's as good as it gets. So San Diego State gets to the national title game on a buzzer beater for Lamont Butler. How could you not put Lamont Butler into the winner's category?
0: Um, okay. So let's keep with basketball. Um, Canadian Zach Eady named the Naismith national player of the year. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't happen much for Canadians.
1: (laughs) doesn't happen ever for Canadians.
0: Um, obviously we knew we had a lot of hype around him at Purdue center. We watched him. We watched that Purdue team lose, um, Probably rumored to be maybe the last time that he's playing in that jersey, but then he shut that down, and we'll see. But anyway, he uh, he says, it's been everything I've expected coming back to school this year. It's been everything I could have expected and more. He wins this award. A yeah, lot of excitement around him, but congratulations. Big one for Canada.
1: Uh, sticking with the winners, we might as well run through the winners. Uh, LSU's a winner. Uh, I don't know where you stand on this whole controversy here with Angel Reese. A lot going mm. into it, but the best game of the weekend was LSU and Iowa. Angel Reese versus Caitlin Clark. It was all Caitlin Clark going in. It's like Steph Curry S, 41 points, I think you said, in consecutive games mm-hmm. going into the final. Like unbelievable stuff. Captivated the sports world for sure. That was the biggest game that I watched yesterday and the best thing that I think I saw yesterday. Uh, but LSU kind of outclassed Iowa in every way and they had an answer for Caitlin Clark. Uh, with, uh, you know, a more balanced performance with Angel Reese, Jasmine Carson off the bench, hitting like a million threes, matching points, matching Caitlin Clark. It was an awesome game. It was an awesome spectacle. Uh, It was a lot of fun to watch. However, at the very end, lots of controversy, people jumping on either side of the equation because Angel Reese, who won MVP honors at the end, was... uh, Definitely giving it to Caitlin Clark as the final seconds ran down. I didn't really have a problem with it in the moment. I did notice after, like, she was, like, following her around for a while, which was a little strange, but mm-hmm. this is basketball now. Like, it's not about beating your opponent. It's about embarrassing your opponent. And I've spent, like, a little bit of time watching some high school stuff in Ontario, and that's what it's all about. It's like every time you score, you're putting the hand down saying that you're too short. Like, it happens constantly. It's not about mm. just winning. It's about winning in that fashion sometimes. And, uh, you know, Caitlin Clark was walking it and talking it and being very, uh, you know, being demonstrative of herself in the lead up to this. And Angel Reese wanted to give it back to her. I really don't have a problem with it. I just would say, like, you know, when I'm winning a national title, that might not be the first thing on my mind is getting right in someone's face, but whatever. It's if you, do, if you win it and you've shimmied in someone's face, then you get shimmied as well. And that's exactly what happened.
0: I don't know how I feel about it, other than be a pro, like
1: be a pro, be a
0: pro. I we're don't not know. Not pros yet. I'm not. I'm not one to taunt the opposing team. Maybe I'm just not a Michael Bunting, but you well, just Bunting doesn't taunt either. He he's in people's face. He's in he's, people's face. He's pushing the button. He's but Pushing the buttons. I I don't know. I didn't like. I didn't love it from either side. I thought it was really great to see. The winner is women's basketball, women's sports in general. I've got a lot of winners um, from that side. But you're going to win a national championship. Don't worry about anyone else. You worry about yourself. You worry about your team. That was a moment that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. And now everyone's just playing this social media clip of you waving your hand in people's faces and pointing at the ring. And, like, LSU, like, they – she did that. I think it was, like, when they made it to the Final Four, they drew a ring on her hand in Sharpie. Angel Reese, if you saw that. that. Like, thank God they won because I was going to age poorly, right? There's a lot of, like, talking and barking back at each other this whole tournament from every single team. For me, I'm like, just be a pro. Just be humble in victory and humble in defeat. But that's probably why I didn't win much. So shout out LSU and Angel Reese. But my winner came from this game as well, uh, Jasmine Carson, as you mentioned. She didn't score a point in LSU's last three games. And last night... The uh, starters in foul trouble. She comes off the bench, twenty-one points, and did not like literally did not miss a shot for a while there. Good for her. You know, those, like that's what I like about March Madness is they have these storylines of players that come in the moment, they find an opportunity to to make a moment for themselves. And you know, she was really emotional post game, saying she's like waited her whole career for something like that. So that to me, a nice moment.
1: It Was a hell of a get up on the LSU coach, eh? That is a suit.
0: All, that's her thing. All season long, you can go back and you can look at every single outfit she's ever worn and she
1: is like fashion Dressed to the nines. That one was pretty good though. That one was pretty good. That was a title worthy yeah, she, wardrobe from Kim wait, One
0: thing that I thought was weird is all of a sudden, I don't know if I, I, this is how it always happens, but the buzzer goes, they all celebrate and already the trophy's in someone's hands. They don't even do, like, a present. It was, like, it was, like, thrown onto the yeah. court. Like, all of a sudden, in the, I swear, in five seconds, the trophy was in Angel Reese's hands, and they're ripping around, partying. Where did the trophy come from? It's just The trophy was out, out there. there
1: before Angel Reese had stopped mocking Caitlin. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I thought they would do, like, a presentation, but all of a sudden, the trophy's out there, and it's just, like, it's climatic in terms of, like, not a, whoa, where they lift mm. it.
1: It was a little weird. It was, I, I, I don't I met, know if you noticed I, that I, too. I did notice that. Yeah,
0: just appeared.
1: I mean, they definitely got on stage and they had their they had their moment up there as well. Yeah.
0: Anyway, they just tossed a trophy the Maybe they in just the like pile. saw it and
1: was like, "Now nah, we're going to take that. That's nah, ours." Anyway. Uh, one more winner for me, Fred VanVleet. Uh, he mm-hmm. set the Raptors single game record for assists. Now he has the records for both single game points and assists, and the only other player to have franchise's single game record in points and assists is Wilt Chamberlain. I've heard of the, him. With the Philadelphia 76ers. <laughs> it's pretty wild that Freddie has both those records that no one else, like Michael didn't have that, LeBron doesn't have that. It's pretty crazy. So shout out to Fred for another huge game. 20 dimes is no easy feat.
0: Holy, it is not. Um, winner, the Kings and the Coyotes. <laughs> oh, That's shocking. Appears that they're the teams going to Australia next year uh, with the NHL. Not officially announced, but our buddies on 32 Thoughts um, on Saturday night mentioned that pretty sure that's going to be the case. Sadly, the one Australian player, (laughs) Nathan Walker, Mm -hmm. was not chosen to, his team was not chosen, um, unfortunately. as He plays for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, Nathan Walker is Australian. He was the first Australian player to be drafted to the NHL, first to play in the league, and probably won't be, on the team that makes the return to Australia. That's
1: tough. It would make a lot of sense, but you know what makes more sense? Taking away two home dates from the Arizona Coyotes. Hey,
0: that makes sense. Like,
1: there's no way those are LA Kings home games. Those are Coyote home games because you're trying to minimize those (laughs) as much as possible. Okay, can we get to losers now?
0: Can I do one more winner? All right. Team Canada Women's Hockey, uh, big 3-1 win on Saturday in their exhibition game to tee up for the World Championship, which is right around the corner. They start action this week, their first game on Wednesday against the Swiss. And they're ready to go. Looking to defend multiple medals in the last two calendar years. Mm -hmm. Good start for a 3-1 win over Finland. And this was uh, in Niagara, so getting ready. Uh, We'll be there as many games as possible headed to the Brampton, I believe it's the CAA Center. they rename it to that?
1: Uh, formerly the Powerade yes. Center? Yes, I only Don't think of it the Powerade Center no. at this point. You're going to be putting in the mileage.
0: I'm putting, I'm putting the, the gas in the tank to go. head to Brampton. No problem. Can't wait to see him. but good start to teeing up this tournament.
1: Okay, my big loser for the weekend is the Toronto Blue Jays. And we've been kind of saving this discussion, right? We haven't talked about the Blue Jays as much today as maybe mm-hmm. we, we normally would after opening weekend, but I thought it was a pretty bad weekend for the Toronto Blue Jays. Like you a said lot,
0: disastrous.
1: Uh, it's disastrous. It's pretty disastrous. Like a lot of the things, and it's disastrous only because a lot of preconceived notions, at least on my end, mm-hmm. were kind of like underscored, and we have some, you know, we have c- concern over the last guy who that... The Blue Jays paid big money to start games for them. Mm-hmm. We, we just saw it with Yusei Kikuchi. Now Chris Bassett looks like he can't. <laughs> it looks like it's going to be the same old story. No, the I know it's performance only one of his game. Life. Like it was legitimately, the, he was brutal. He was brutal, and now you have to, like, wouldn't it be so nice to, like, oh, we don't have to worry about that. We don't have to worry about how Chris Bassett looks. Now we have to worry about what Chris Bassett looks like. Yeah. Like, because we know how bad it can be, and I know that's the worst, but we know how bad it can be now, and we have one reference and data point, and that's the one, and it's a bad one. But even with Kevin Gosman, like, the same thing applies to Kevin Gosman. Kevin
0: Gosman played... Pitched a great game, but yeah, he's unlucky. He's cursed. He did something in his past yeah, life. So he like needs we, to say. Yeah, we have
1: to be cons- we have to be constantly worried about like who Kevin Gosman pissed off in the like, previous the, life in a previous life. Like it's it was it, 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 there were a lot okay. of things where it's just like oh man, we're doing this. Yeah, it, it, it's like Jack tough. Flaherty can't even hit the strike zone, <laughs> but the Blue Jays can't square up a single ball. Mm-hmm. All Saturday, but all weekend, they didn't hit a home run all weekend. First time they've done that. Haven't hit a home run in opening weekend in forever or ever. Like a lot of things is just like, dude, are we really starting this way? It felt really frustrating already. And that's not the way I envisioned the season starting. I really didn't think it was going to go this way. I know St. Louis is a good team. I know they can do that. Mm -hmm. But it, it really felt like a lot of what I was concerned with was immediately underscored, and for that reason, I'm just like can't shake a really negative feeling about what went down.
0: Okay, I think you need to pump the brakes a little bit. It's three games. Um, Yes, the Chris Bassett start was pretty brutal. (laughs) Like there's no way to sugarcoat that. However, that is not Chris Bassett. This is a one sample size, and he came off, and he was like that was the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my life. I'm not concerned that this is the Chris Bass that we're going to see. I will tell you that Jose Barrios is starting tonight, and tomorrow is Kikuchi. So talk to me on Wednesday to see if we're at Disastrous, because if those two have a bad performance, and Chris Bass had a bad performance, and Manoa was shook to his core in the very first opening day of this season, and Kevin Gosman is cursed, then we'll say the word disastrous. But, okay, I'm just going to say Even it's with Manoa, early. It's like,
1: early, Justin. We're thinking about regression being a thing, likely with Manoa. Maybe not to a huge extent, falling straight no off the way. cliff. But then it's like, oh, yeah. Those that, are just uncharacteristic
0: <laughs> moments that, I don't in an early how I, Blue Jay season. The
1: biggest one is the pitching, though. The biggest one is the pitching all around. I've, I, would, I will stand on this hill forever that they don't have enough pitching to be serious this year. Whether it's the starters, more so the bullpen, however. But everyone, like at every turn from a pitching standpoint, they seem to let you down this week.
0: I still feel like the Blue Jays have a pretty damn good rotation. The bullpen has been a question all offseason. And, yeah, I think you're in a safe place to say it's not World Series caliber. However, we talked about this gunning and I. Maybe that's the trade deadline down the road. You're looming, whatever.
1: Also, the talk of, like, Chapman regressing defensively, and then his big error sets the table for yeah, that Saturday's loss. Unfortunately, unfortunate. Pechette struggling already defensively. Yeah, the outfield looks good defensively, but all the little things that were in the back of my head, they all came to the fore You're immediately. You're freaking out, eh? And I was I'm just not, not You're comfortable. You're selling
0: all your Blue Jays stock you, no, you weekend say, one. You say
1: Kikuchi's going to turn things around.
0: Hey, he's our great Fruit League MVP.
1: He's our guy. He's got to. hes Tomorrow, he's the one that doesn't have issues tonight, that Manoa and Bassett had with the pitch com and communication. That's true. This pitch, pitch is
0: really throwing things off with the Blue Jays. I don't is any is it happening to any other team because that's all we seem to notice is that nobody can press the buttons fast enough. And
1: did did Chris Bassett not work on the buttons with the eight? The problem weeks? is
0: Chris Bassett has forty three different pitches and he's like dialing up like an area code before every single pitch. It's, I'm it's like, not good. hurry up and press the buttons yeah. or just let Danny Jansen call the game because it seemed like there's a bit of a disconnect between the pitchers and the pitch. Thing and me, also, Manoa really, said that, and
1: not really an excuse to not have things the ducks in order before the season when you've been prepping, prepping for the season for six to eight weeks.
0: I mean, come on. I agree, Justin. The biggest thing is we still don't know what the new home run celebration is going to be because nobody's hit a damn home run. That is true. <laughs> When's that going to happen tonight?
1: Maybe they'll wait till they get home. Mm,
0: there's so much time, Justin, and I disagree with most of your cause for alarm. I will say that there are certainly things that we will ask Ben Nicholson Smith on this side of the break, but I think uncharacteristic blowups early on, but this could age poorly, okay? Because you might be you might be seeing the real blue jays, but how, I don't believe it.
1: How characteristic are those blow ups? I think that's the first question. Yikes for Ben. Uh one more loser. Yep. Nick Nurse, biggest loser of the weekend, making it about himself. I thought we were trying to get excited for the remainder mm. of the season, try to play in for something. Nick Nurse is worried about his next job, frankly. It's disappointing and embarrassing on his front. Uh so Nick Nurse, the biggest loser, despite the Jays maybe being the most yeah, losers. You're in 1A, one A one B though, aren't you? Yeah, I am. God.
0: All right, Ben Nichols and Smith on the other side of the break. Let's try to calm Justin down.